series about manifest presence, and we have been doing this for for a couple weeks now, and we're going to be in the scripture from Hebrews chapter 12, but I want to talk a little bit about manifest presence for a while, and as we enter into this, this passage. But let's pray again. I know Henry did, and other people did. Lord Jesus, have your way. Thank you for this time. Lord God, I just pray, Lord God, all, all these things that you've put on my heart, Lord God, let it be released, and things that you don't want to be said, Lord God, let it be suppressed. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So if you go to our church website, and you pull up the church website, and on the top I'm dyslexic, so I have to really look at my wedding ring. The top left, there's a pull down. And if you hit that pull down, and all these things come up, and you scroll down near the middle, there's a section called values. And so our sermon series, we'll have a scripture sermon series based on the scripture. Then we'll have a sermon series based on one of those values. And so if you look at those values, you scroll down the values, you'll come to one with the manifest presence. And that's what we've been going over. And I just want to read what this statement says, and then there's scriptures to support this statement. Manifest present. God is omnipresent, whether he's acknowledged or not. He's manifestly present where he's treasured, acknowledged, celebrated, and encountered. It's God's presence that has always been the distinctive of his people. As we engage our primary work of prayer, we are sent into the world on missions. As we engage the mission, we seek his presence even more. We steward a culture of intimacy with his presence and action in the world. So I think this is such a cool season because... Here, they picked out to do this series of Manifest Presence, and then this whole thing in Asbury, Kentucky happened. Okay, guess what? We didn't know that, you I mean, you know, Steve is not saying, hey, we're going to do this sermon series because this revival is coming in Kentucky. But it seems like when this revival in Kentucky starts happening, it, it was like, hey, yes. Yes, there's something to this idea of the manifest presence of God. And it's like God saying, like, see, see, to the, to the gospel tab. Because here we're talking about it, and then this thing happened. My, my life personally, my life personally had been touched by revival. That is something that I look as, after I converted, I grew up in the Methodist church, but I didn't convert. I didn't uh, come into relationship with Jesus until I was a young adult. So that after I was converted, my life was touched by revival. And it's something that I'm excited about. And uh, in the past, I taught an eight-week class just on revival. So revival is something that I'm into. And it's so exciting. We pray for it all the time. And so I'm, I'm glad that we get to talk a little bit about um, the manifest presence. So my walk has been touched by revival. The first revival I want to mention is Pazuzu Street. 
This is a book of the Azusa Street Revival. And the church that I was saved in and discipled in and still hold credentials as a ministry in traces the roots back to the Zuzu Street Revival. I can say it. And it would shock many of them. The leader of the Zuzu Street Revival is this man, because this is a majority white church, and I don't even think they really knew. This is, is Charles Seymour. He was uh, blind in one eye, and he was the leader of the Zuzu Street Revival. And this booklet, I've had this booklet for several years now. This is a reprint, because before the internet, how did people find out about these things? They wrote a newspaper. And Azusa Street Revival had their own paper. And they would write it, and, and all these little highlights were just these amazing things that God was doing. Um, one of the last pages I marked there, it goes on and say, hey, revival broke out here. Revival broke out here. Revival's in Spokane. Revival's down in the south. You know, because Azusa Street Revival. And at the same time, guess what? A.B. Simpson was leaving the, leaving the revival. They were like shoulder to shoulder. In fact, a lot of the early uh, Pentecostal uh, revivalists took his language, the founder of, of the, the Missionary Alliance, Christian and Missionary Alliance. So my life was touched by this because I was discipled under this church that was formed in this. And here, you're, because you're here part of the Gospel tab, you're connected to that too. And, and because A.B. Simpson was a main voice and a lot of the doctrine that's in the church that I grew up, that I got saved in and was ministered in, you guys can look at this later if you're interested, was, came out of A.B. Simpson's writing. So I was touched by this revival, this Azusa, the churches I attended, were, they all talked about it. Early on, the ministers that I would say discipled, now I would say they were my mentors, but we didn't have that word back then. So the ministers I discipled came, uh, families came right out of it. Uh, we, Christine and I met at, at a, a ministry in Toronto that was led by Pastor Bowen and Mrs. B. Mrs. B's dad was the uh, first, uh, one of the, the first presidents of what's now known as Valley Forge Christian College. And he was connected to the revival. And so I remember meeting this little old lady and, and I'm at this ministry, I come and I first meet, and, and she, she fell in love with me. I don't know why, but she really took an interest in me. And I had on my car. <laughs> I had on my car a sticker on my window. I didn't want to put it on the bumper because I didn't want anyone left behind to know I was a Christian, but I had a sticker on my window of my car that said, not perfect, just forgiven. Not perfect, just forgiven. Well, this little old lady came up to me and she said, she said, son, you gotta take that sticker off your car window. And I'm like, why? She said, you are a child of God. That gives you permission to sin. When you say, I'm not perfect, that gives you permission to sin because A.B. Simpson and all these people, they're holiness. 
They believed that we were sanctified children of God. And because we were sanctified children of God, that we don't have to sin because we can turn to Jesus. They believed the progressive sanctification that the closer you get to Jesus, the less you sin. And she said, that gives you permission to sin. You are a child of God. You're not just forgiven. What did we do with the communion? We came in and we took that cup and we said, Jesus, you are mine. Anyway, that's not one. So she was on fire about that. And they would teach all these, these Holy Ghost ideas. And, and Jake, I, I love you because you're a young person and you sang Andre Crouch today. I don't know if you even knew you sang Andre Crouch today, but he was, you did. And it reaches to the high. Anyway, yeah. that was, you don't want me to sing it. So, but, so all these churches, they, they were affected by Azusa Street. The second revival that affected me was the charismatic or the Jesus movement revival. Because, again, all these churches, they were on fire and they were re-energized when the Jesus movement came. And, 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 and so I remember when I first got saved. When I first got saved, it's a long testimony, I'm not going to tell it now. But one of the things is I made an intellectual decision to get saved. Like, because people were witnessing for a long time. They were praying for me for a long time. Finally, I woke up and I'm like, this is the smart thing to do is get saved. And so I intellectually um, moved and I went to live with my sister and my brother-in-law and they were ministers in the Assemblies of God in, in New Hampshire. So I intellectually made this decision. And the first thing I get up there and, and, and I'm still smoking and all this kind of stuff, but I get up there and the first thing my brother-in-law says, we're going to a men's meeting. And so, okay, that's right. I made this decision. We're going to make this men's meeting. We go in this men's meeting, and there's, there's these, these hippies up there leading worship in this men's ministry. And it was an A-frame um, church. Well, it was in a camp. Whatever. It was A-frame tabernacle, or whatever you want to call it. And it was packed. It was so packed when we got there, we had to go up into the, they had a balcony in the back of this A-frame. And, and all of a sudden, there's only men in the room. These hippies are singing these Jesus songs. And all of a sudden, there, there was this spiritual song coming up, just men. I tell you, I, I came undone. Here I made this intellectual decision and then I'm in this place where the Holy Spirit is moving and the Holy Spirit song is coming up. No one was leading it. It really didn't have any words. It was just like a wave of the Spirit. See, that was happening all over the Jesus movement. In fact, we are sitting in a chapel that is born out of that same Jesus movement. See, the community celebration we're part of a huge young people's revival in, in, in Texas. And they started moving in the spirit. And they started moving in the spirit. And God knows they ended up here in Aliquippa. And they named this chapel the Chapel of the Holy Spirit. 
So here I am touched by these revivals. And when I hear about the manifest presence, I hear about Asbury. I'm like, yes, Lord, do it more. Do it more. Now, personally, personally, um, I experienced the Brownsville revival and the airport vineyard revival. We went to the airport. We were in Toronto. So every time we visited Canada, we went to the revival in the airport vineyard. And it was just, God was just moving. They, they called it up there, it, it was a renewal. It was a renewal. And, and God was just moving in powerful ways. Powerful ways. People were, were just being touched by God. And, and, and it affected what, what's known as the golden horseshoe in that area. There's the most of Canada's population lives close to the American border. You know, so in the one section they have what they call the Golden Horseshoe, which, which is there's a lot of industry and stuff in Canada. But all the churches there got touched by what was God was doing there. And Michelle, who was visiting last week, her church was extremely touched by that. Now, well, I, I, well, I wasn't planning to do this, but I'll mention it when Michelle. Those who were last week and Steve did that worship, uh, my sister-in-law, Michelle, let out a song. Okay. It was an old Keith Green song. And, and she just, she felt, she let it out. It was the next song on Steve's list. Wow. And, and she let it out. Afterwards, I'm like, Michelle, how did you know that was next on? I don't know. It was next on the list. I just felt God prompt me to lead that out. And if many of you who are here and heard that and saw that happening, and, and it's, that was actually Steve's next song. She didn't even know the words were up there until I asked her, to, when I closed the service, I asked her to sing it again. She just said, wow, that's an old song. A lot of people know it. But the word was up there. So the Holy Spirit affected that church. And in Brownsville, we went, and then we see amazing things. And God in and, and Brownsville really touched our church. And, and I experienced that revival and that renewal and that excitement. Uh, and then we had other things that, the, it didn't, these revivals just didn't stay put. They moved, they moved, they moved. If you read uh, the Zuzu pages, it's like, it's coming here, it's coming there. This person got saved, that person got saved, this person got baptized. All these things happening. So this is so exciting with the revival. Let me tell you just a story about Brownsville, which is exciting to me. Brownsville, you go, it's, it was a church-based revival. But it, it, they had, you would go there and people would line up early in the morning till they opened the doors. So the first time I went there, they had thousands of people in line just waiting for the church doors to open. And everybody in line is praying and excited. And they're waiting hours. In fact, they, they were getting there so early that they had to hire security guards and said, no one can come on until 8 o'clock. You can't come here until 8 o'clock. We're going to lock the place up. We're going to not let you here. But so 8 o'clock in the morning, church, church service. The doors opened at 6. Church started at 7. So 8 o'clock, they lined up the house. And, and they were expecting God, and God moved. And I remember being there, I remember being there, and after the service, 
they would have their prayer teams go up. And this is what they announced from the, the podium. They said, if you don't want to be prayed for, stay in your seats. If you don't want to be prayed for, stay in your seats. If you want to be prayed for, step out of your seats into the aisle. They, they had big aisles, a big altar area. Step out. So most you know, people that wanted to be prayed for stepped out. And as they were praying for people, people were being um, what we call in the assemblies of God, I don't know what the Elias call, we call it slain in the spirit. They were falling down under the power of spirit. And I, I may, was amazed. I'm not waiting to be prayed for. And two rows ahead of me, there's a whole row of people that stayed in their seat. They're sitting down. They don't want to be prayed for. So the prayer minister's coming by, coming by, coming by, praying for everybody. There's a person on the, sitting on the edge of that seat. The row that did get out of the seat, he touches that person. Like dominoes. <laughs> <laughs> the whole row. They didn't, they, you know, sometimes if people were expecting their eye, they didn't want to fall down. But that row, no one wanted to fall down. And Lord of the Holy Spirit, it's like, wow. You know, because you would question, is this, is this real? Are people putting this on? Well, that, none of them wanted to be prayed for. <laughs> and they're laying out there under the power of the Holy Spirit. So, anyway. So, these revivals are examples of mass times of the manifest presence of God. Okay, they're mass, they're group times. And they are so cool, and it's something that we pray for. But the manifest presence is not just for a mass service. Listen to this. It's not just for a mass service. It is for the mission. It is for my mission. It is for your mission. It is for our mission. It's not something that we go and observe. Even though I've observed and participated in things like this, it's a beginning. And we do not have to go to Asbury to receive it. We can receive it right here. We, can, we don't have to even go to a church. We can receive it in our living room. See, these manifest presence, these things, you know, I grew up, we didn't have the word manifest presence yet. We would call it under the unction. We would say, oh, you have under the Spirit. Just pray on fire, God. Man, I really felt the anointing. What are these things? <laughs> now, if I wish I could get that, that breath in, but I can't. So, <laughs> so uh, we had all these things. And I remember early on feeling these manifest presence in, in my life as I got saved. I remember when I first got saved, I, I would be reading the Bible and God would give me sermons. I'm not even preaching or not even planning to preach. And I'm like, why, why, why have I got this going on? Because God's on. And you know, so early on I felt those things. And as I grew, there was different times where God would just... Just, just flow in these, these things where God would show up in my personal ministry in a powerful way. I remember 
my, my second semester of college, uh, a friend of mine and my, we started a street ministry team to uh, Phoenixville, which was the little city by, by, by our college. And, and, and no one else was doing it. We started going down and telling people about Jesus. And somewhere along the line, we got permission to use the basement of a bar. So we started doing a coffee shop in the basement of the bar every Friday night. And he would be in charge of the basement of the bar coffee shop ministry. And I was in charge of street ministry teams. And so we would bring all these street teams. I did it all four years I was in, in college. So we would do these street ministry teams. And so we would go, the street ministry teams, there, some were there all the time, but some were fresh. So they would come, we would have prayer, and we would have a little teaching. And then we would divide up the two. We had rules, you had to be, you know, two by two. And we would tell them, you know, hey, we're, we're, we're not going to be in your face. We're going to just start conversations and then talk about Jesus. And we used different tools and stuff, but, but we would always teach and let the Spirit guide. Well, there was this one young man, his name was Randy. Man, I, I love Randy, he was so passionate, but he, he just didn't obey the rules. <laughs> so he didn't obey the rules. And every time he would see someone, he'd say, Jesus loves you, or get saved. He would yell at cars and stuff, and it's like, okay, Randy, we're trying to love people and have nice conversations. So... So uh, in the little city, they had, had areas that, that were uh, ethnic and whatnot, so, which was no big deal because the, half of the team with me was uh, uh, black, so Randy himself was black. So we went, we would each Friday, we'd go to a different area of the city. So we were in this particular black neighborhood, and uh, so we're in that area, and all of a sudden, there's Randy. I, he wasn't. He was by himself somehow, but he's running, and there's a man chasing him with a knife. So, well, it turns out that Randy, um, in, in that neighborhood, there was there was a nation of Islam mosque, and Randy went in there with his shoes on. So there was a guy. So Randy's running, and. Um, so this man's running, and, and I don't know what, over, but the Spirit of the Lord overcame me. And that man came up with the knife. Randy went behind my group. And, <laughs> and, and I just put my arm around this guy holding the knife. Yes. And I said, Dear Jesus, I just pray that you would comfort this man and you would be with him and that you would encounter him in a fresh way. And he drops his knife. Yeah. Praise God. So that's afterwards people were saying, why did you do that? Didn't you know he had, I didn't guard him from his knife. I just put my arm around him and the knife falls to the ground. Why? Because these are moments of the manifest presence of God. Why did I do that? Because I felt the unction, the anointing that I was able to do that. I would like to say that man got saved. And if I was a good uh, Pentecostal preacher, I'd have a whole story about it. Never saw that man again. <laughs> but it's the example. So, so, so during our, my ministry, I've seen these examples of God. Uh, when, when Christine and I um, 
We're curious the second time. We both were there, and then we came back a second time. I, I was in, in charge of all the, the men counselor and all the boys in the camp. And she was charged all the girls or something like that. The second time, yeah. Well, the nurse, the nurse was delayed coming. So somehow Christine and I were giving out the medicines. And I remember, I remember all these people come, they're sick, there's no nurse. So my solution was to start praying for healing. And I remember this one particular little girl that had an earache. She was like in massive pain. And I remember laying in and said, Dear Jesus, boom, that earache went. And I suffer from earaches. If I go swimming, if I don't, I won't put my head under water unless I'm earaches. Because they're painful. I suffer from them. But she was healed. And so all these different things. Over the years, salvation. The camp we worked at, we just saw hundreds of kids get saved. And, and this is the first area that we didn't do any sort of children's crusade. We would go crusades and do neighborhood crusades and all these things. I've got a box of puppets in my basement. So all these salvations. And, and, and this is the symbol of the manifestation of spirit. And I, and I, and I go on. And um, guidance. and go on that. Encourage me. I want to tell you this story about the manifest presence. We, we uh, were at a church and we felt we were at this church and that God called us to be an open place for people to come with church hurts, which is a weird call. And hurt people hurt people, you know that. So it was, we were going, working at this church and it, it, it was hard going. And, and I was in an accountability group with these other uh, men of God. And, and one of them, he was a church that, that was not far from us. And he said, well, maybe... Maybe that's not really what God's saying. And I really felt that was God. And we used to have a Friday night prayer meeting like Upper Room. We called it uh, Righteous Outcry. And, and we would, two Fridays a month, and we would set up centers, like we would have an art center. So we'd have a place and people could paint. And then we would have a, 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 a center where people would journal. And they could either have private notes to God or they could post up a note to God. And we had, we had all this stuff going on. And we had different people come that we knew and lead worship for these times. And they weren't all a part of our church, but they were part of the family of God. And this one night, this couple who, who was experiencing a lot of church hurt on their own, it's a long story, I won't go why. But they were coming and he led what he called DJ worship. So he didn't play any instrument. But he, he had the whole DJ thing going. He would lead worship, powerful times of worship with his DJ worship. And we just had, at this, this prayer meeting, we had just such a powerful move of God. And, and afterwards, we're still soaking in the presence of God. And, and, and this man's wife um, says, look at my hands. This is the weirdest thing. Look at my hands. And you look at her hands and it's covered with gold specks. They're, they're speckling. Like, like, you know, when that kid puts too much litter on them. But it was covered in hands. She said, look at my hands. All right, all right, I'm dealing with her. I should keep going with the strips of ages. And, and she said, look at my hands. And guess what? I don't look at my hands. And I have gold specks. Everybody in the circle looks at their hands. They have all these gold specks. 
It's like, well, why is God showing up in that weird way? But that was an encouragement to me to keep going. And after that, we saw people who had left church come back to church, ministers that left the ministry come to our church and hang out for a while and go back in the ministry. And things started happening. Why? The presence of God. And, and, and people, when I tell that story, people are like, that's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. But God does all this stuff to encourage us. This is it. And, and you know, now since I've been here, one of the most unusual things is times I'm on the prayer ministry and we're praying for people. God gives me some weird things to share. At least I think they are. You know, and, and I'll go, you know, this might say strange, but I, I saw this for you. You know, thinking, okay, that's weird. You know, then to have multiple times people say, oh yeah, no, four other people told me that. You know, oh yeah, I've heard that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a confirmation. So these things are part of the manifestation of God. These things are for our ministry. And it's not just for Pastor Joel or Jake or, or Steve. It's for everyone in this room. So the manifest spirits of God. Yeah, yeah. The mission and God's presence is connection, connected. And connected. He's with us. In Matthew 16, what he said, take up your cross. It's, it's everybody. Matthew again in 28, he says, I will be with you to the end of the day. I'm excited. I'm preaching too long though. Let me finish this up. All right. Let's go to Hebrews 12. Okay, Hebrews 12. Hebrews was written to the church. Okay, get this clear. Hebrews was written, written to the church. It was not written to unbelievers. So when we read Hebrews, it's to us. It's to the church. And we're in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. Why is Hebrews 11 called the faith chapter? Does anyone know? Yeah, guess what? All these people that God did incredible things with, all these people that we would say today walked in the manifest presence of God are represented in that chapter. So, here we pick up on chapter 12 after we're hearing about all these great things God did with people. And you know what? reading through some of these old Azusa letters, it's about ordinary people encountering God. It's not about the pastor encountering God. It's about ordinary people encountering God. So here we go in Hebrews uh, chapter 11. It's known in the whole day. 12, I just want to read 1 and 2. I was supposed to go to the end of this, but I'm not going to. Okay. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which easily ensnares us. Let us run and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who 
for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, let's break down this story here. Okay, it says, therefore, it's referring back to chapter 11, and it's like this. Hey, these people have done it already. It's, this is written to the church. It's written to you. And, 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 and well, I'll say Paul because I believe it, but other people have different opinions of Hebrew. But the writer of Hebrews, it's the more political correct things, he's saying, therefore, hey, other people have done it. Other people have been used by God. Other people went through. God is manifesting in them so he can manifest in you also. And he says, you're surrounded by this witness, this cloud, this group of people who have done it. When I read the story of Zuzu Street and a lot of people I talk about, they're gone. Mrs. B, is, she's gone to heaven a long time ago. Pastor Bones gone along. These are people that have impacted my life, that walked in revival and walked with the, the, the Spirit of God. I want to walk in that way. And so here the writer is saying, hey, others have done it. You can do it to it. Then he says this. Let us lay aside everything that keeps you back. Church, it's the season for us to press into God. We need to look and say, what holds me back? And lay it aside. Then he goes on. He said, let us lay aside everything that keeps us back, especially sin. Especially sin that holds you back. Now, now church, we have, we have to realize that a lot of these revivals that happened were revivals of repentance. And the church today, the people today, it seems like culture today, we don't want to call sin, sin. Okay, we need to lay aside sin. It is not a personal issue. It's not how you were raised. It's not accept me the way I am. It is sin. It's part of our fallen nature. And we need to let the fire of God to burn it off of us. When I come back and I'm dealing with my fallen nature, I don't just say, hey, that's the way I was born. I'm going to say, hey, I know I was born that way. I was born into sin. But now, Jesus has set me free. And I can hear Mrs. Bowen saying, you're not just forgiven. You are a child of God. We need to lay that aside. Don't, Don't let the world, the empire, justify your sin. Take a hold of it. And get rid of it. Let the fire of God burn it up. You know, sometimes, why do we hold on to sin? I don't know if I should tell the story. I'll tell it. Okay. <laughs> um, sometimes we hold on to sin because we like it. It's our pet. When, when we, t- we took a church um, in... in well, I guess it's suburban or whatever. But we were we went from a more urban part of Maryland to a very suburban part. And we ended up moving on to a cow farm. And so, 
what do I know about cow farm, you know? But we moved on this old farmhouse in the middle of cows for all around us. We're in the middle of cow farm. And I'm like, well, it's Easter. This is the time I'm going to get chickens for my kids, you know, to get the little Easter peps. I, I would never get them before. I got these little chickens. And then we turned out in a long story, we had five of them. All of them were supposed to be hens. Well, four of the five were roosters. <laughs> and there was one rooster in particular. He was the mean rooster. He was the mean rooster. And, and so this rooster would always escape and chase my kids around, my wife around, the neighbor around. My dog would not go out in the yard if this rooster was loose. <laughs> So someone told me to keep the rooster in the pen that you, you cut their wings. So I grabbed this rooster one time, I cut its wings. It still flies out of pets and they're like, no, you're only supposed to cut one wing. So they go, you know. <laughs> so we had this rooster and I built a lot of stories. So it keeps coming, this rooster keeps getting escaping. And, and so my wife starts saying, well, you know, you just got to kill, kill that rooster. <laughs> you got to kill that rooster. You know, and so, so it, you know, I don't want to kill the rooster. The kids prayed for the, They played with this rooster. They prayed for this rooster. They, that was their pet. It was my pet, too. <laughs> so, I don't think my daughter ever heard this story. So, because uh, this was before her. So, so here we've got this rooster problem. And, and the, the neighbor, we leave and we'd ask the neighbor to go feed our dog. And he's like, well, I've got to bring my big dog out because that rooster's mean, you know. <laughs> so it's interesting. My mom, growing up, when she got mad at us, she would yell through clenched teeth. You're, I knew your parents are, she'd say, your kids are driving crazy. <laughs> Christine doesn't do that. But one day, I would come home for lunch. One day, I'd come home for the lunch, and as I opened the door, my wife greets me at the door. She's channeling my mother and saying, you got to kill that chicken! <laughs> Clenched teeth and all. And I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. That chicken was loose. Here's this thing that I love. That I love. That's part of my life. That needs to go. And I took that chicken. And I took it to the stump. Oh, in your life that you're holding on to because you raised it. 
you took care of it that needs to go. All right, we need to let the fire of God to burn those things up. Then it goes on to, to let us run with endurance the race. Church, we get this is written to the church. I keep coming back to this. All of us need to run the race of God. All of us. It is not a suggestion. Sometimes we don't see the manifest presence in our life because we're not running the race of God. Sometimes we don't see the manifest presence of God because we're not going after the mission. Why is God going to pour out His presence when we're just sitting home watching TV? He's going to pour out His presence. I needed God's presence when that guy was after Randy with the knife. I needed God's presence when I looked for guidance. I need God's presence when sorrow comes and meets me. I need God's presence to do the mission. We need to run the race and we need to do it with endurance. That means we need to finish it. We need to finish, finish the race. If I'm in a race, I'm last place. But I can finish it. I can finish. I might not be the quickest, but I need to be indoors. I need to finish the race. Then number four, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We need to keep, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. He has sent his presence to be with us. You know, he, you know, all these beautiful songs today about him being with us. We need just to rest in that. We need to rest in that. And he's the author and finisher of our faith. I'll end with this. He is writing our story. He's the author. And guess what? He knows the direction we're heading. And what did Job say? I go to the east, I don't see him. I go to the west, I don't see him. I go to the south, I see evidence, but he's not there. I go to the north, where is he? But he knows the steps I'm taking. And when I come forth, I will come forth as God. Run the race. We need to be on a mission for God and allow his manifest presence to flow 